I've had to explain to too many people what the urethra is. Mm. It's the hole we pee out of. Mm. That's how we pee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I've had to explain know. that to too many people. Yeah. I've had students who ask, um, can you get pregnant um, off a blowjob? Like, this is in a gender class. And I was sitting there, and I first I'm like, are you playing with me? Yeah. Like, uh, is this serious? This is a joke? And then I was like, I don't think this is a joke. I think yeah. people aren't having the proper type of conversations exactly. at all. It's, it, I've stopped kind of like judging people's questions because mm. it gets to the point where if I did that, I wouldn't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's taking it all seriously and answering in a way that doesn't make people feel mm-hmm. any yeah. sort of way, but it's more of like, nope. You can't. And just leaving <laughs> yeah, it at that. It's right. Like, nope, that's not a thing that can happen. Right. Welcome to the Edupunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman, here with another episode for you to listen to in your earballs. This week, I'm talking with my buddy Nick Bates, who works at Loyola, Maryland, uh, in, in, in Baltimore, Maryland. That's where he lives. Uh, he is the uh, assistant director of student life there at Loyola, Maryland, and he was actually in Boston just last week and decided to swing by my campus at UMass Boston, and we got to have this chat in person, uh, right in front of each other, in my busy campus center. So you might hear some students walking by, you might hear some random conversations and some things jostling around at random times. Just a heads up, that's just how my campus Always sounds, and since this, since this is a podcast a lot for educators first, uh, y'all are probably used to that kind of shit, so that's great. But Nick and I really get into a lot of topics, and I do take a lot of moments to appreciate the knowledge that I am learning in this episode, because Nick is a sage human being. Uh, we met through Twitter, and we didn't know a whole lot about each other when we first met. Uh, at a NASPA conference, but then uh, we've just stayed in touch, and I was really stoked to have this like really good sit-down conversation. We get into a lot of uh, conversations on uh, uh, what it's like to be a black man, a black man in education, supporting uh, black students and other students of color, and what it's like to be a resilient human being, and really getting to the core of how do we reach students who might be coming to college without really any knowledge of the world and how do we connect with them without any level of judgment and just meeting them where they are and educating them there and giving them the tools to be better human beings. And yeah, this week you're also going to get to hear some tunes from the new Dearest album called Sonder. 
It is coming out, or it came out last week on Spartan Records. You know our friends at Spartan Records play a whole bunch of their bands on this podcast. They're great people, great human beings. Just got a nice care package from them, actually, just now today in the mail. But you're going to hear some of those tunes right now, later in the episode. And now let's get to this conversation with Nick Bates in my campus center, in my office. Here we go. Alright, so I'm sitting in my office at work at UMass Boston with my buddy Nick Bates. How are you? I'm good. Good. Good to see you. It's a very interesting campus. Uh, I like some of the shared space, but I can see how having so much shared space can be problematic for people. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Oh yeah, I've talked to, to my buddy Ben, who works here, about being on this campus. It's a unique space. 100%. I've never been on a campus like this before. Yeah. Uh, 100% commuter school is a little different than other campuses. Yeah, I've never been at 100%. No, that's not true. I did my internship in financial aid at IPFW, um, Indiana Purdue University, Fort Wayne, which is primarily commuter school. Indiana Um, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Yep, Indiana Purdue University, Fort Wayne. It does not exist anymore, to my knowledge. It actually closed down. Uh, which is interesting because their residence halls when I was there were probably like five years old and they're very like resort looking and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then to find out they closed, it's like, oh, but they had just built their residence halls. Uh, but Indiana, Purdue University, Fort Wayne. And uh-huh. so um, shared university, shared with Purdue, uh-huh. shared with Indiana University. So it's weird. Like some students are uh. Indiana University students. Yeah. Some students are Purdue University students. Uh, but it depends on their program. Purdue's um, in Indiana, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. I didn't want it to be like, Purdue's in Pennsylvania. No, no, no. Part of... Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I've seen like IUPUI, right. and I don't get it. Same type of concept as IUPUI. That's so um, bizarre to me. Yep. Same type of concept. It's just in Fort Wayne and not in Indianapolis. Uh, okay, okay. So then like that makes my sense. check as an employee, I think, came from... At the time, Purdue University. Okay. Like, that's what it would say. It would say Purdue. Okay. It wouldn't say, like, IPFW or anything like that. Interesting. Right. That's new to me. Yeah. Our, yeah. And you actually clarified something I've been wanting to know for a very long time. <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about. But I love yeah. that. I love yeah. just that I got to learn. Also want to cover that we're not alone. We got your partner, Nas, here. Uh, don't know how much you'll be a part of the conversation, but you can chime in anytime you want, anytime you feel. Um, and, yeah, we're just going to chat about life and stuff. So, Nick, I know a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. We've been in touch for a little while, mostly through the internets. Mm. But I would love for you to tell folks who you are, what you do, where you come from, how you got here. Sure. Um, so I'm from Chicago, um, and I currently work at a university in Baltimore, or my role is combination between doing res life stuff and conduct um and then i have the opportunity to teach in the sociology department where i teach intro to gender studies uh it's now intro to gender and sexuality studies um as well and then um within my administrative role i do a lot of work with men of color so i work with a men of color program uh, where i kind of direct most of the curriculum that we do um, it started very much historically as a retention tool, uh, working at a predominantly white institution that is private and Catholic. Um, presented interesting challenges in the past for yeah. men of color um, to not feel like they will belong or often would go into that institution to transfer, um, et cetera, all of those other things. And so 
um, that's where the program primarily started. When I got there, it was a little bit more retention work, a little bit more identity focus, and I kind of wanted to bring in gender and masculinity, um, things that I feel are equally as important to learn and equally a part of the student developmental experience as well. And so that's primarily um, something that I you know, take great joy in working with at the institution. Yeah, so you brought that into the work? Mm -hmm. That wasn't even like on-the-job duty descriptions? No, it, it it wasn't. You know, we do have other duties as a sign in, in, in every <laughs> This position, whole podcast right? could be called that. Other duties as Jeez. a sign. Um, but it was not. It was something that was there, and I just felt the need, feel the need. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, where did you go to graduate school? Uh, so I went to grad school at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Cool. What did you do in your grad work? Um, housing, so res life. Um, and before that, I worked with a black male initiative at that institution that I helped create and build. Um, and so I transitioned into doing res life because they have a live and learning community that I helped create. Um, so it's kind of like easy flow. You help create this, just help sustain it. Mm -hmm. uh, very easy flow uh, with my grad work. Already noticing a trend. <laughs> right. Already noticing a trend, yeah. bringing... Bringing that work through your career. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. What what's, What is your general interest with the, the gender work then? Um, I think it comes from my mentor. Um, so when I was an undergraduate student, we had a, a program um, called Progressive Masculinities Mentors uh, where we would do work on masculinity. And we were centered in hip-hop is kind of how we took our lens of uh, attempting to do this work. There's a book by an author who's an academic. Um, forgive me if I'm messing up his name. I think it's Jose Munoz, and it's called Disidentifications. Okay. And that's kind of what we use. So we take hip-hop, and we like to use it to break down the stereotypes and stigmas in hip-hop. Um, and we use that to teach gender. And so we can oh. use hip-hop in so many ways to do that. We can talk about why this is problematic, why this is interesting, why you would actually say that, how is how does masculinity driven through in hip-hop, um, you know, how is femininity silenced or looked down upon in hip-hop, or where is it praised? Uh, we could talk about artists like Tribe Called Quest, where you don't really hear them objectifying women in any of their songs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's just many ways we can use hip-hop. We could talk about women in hip-hop. Um, why are women in hip-hop always um, have to be competitive? Why do they have to go against each other every time there's a new woman in hip-hop? We have to compare her to somebody else. Why do um, men have to be so hard? Right. Why do all the men have to be hard, tough? Or if they're, so quote-unquote, soft, they're, like, looked down upon. Right. Like, and Drake so, gets a lot of shit all the time. Exactly. Um, great example. Um, of something that we could use we could talk about why drake is looked down upon um when he makes a song for uh, what could be considered the ladies but if he makes another tough sounding song then all of the guys love it right um they get behind that one right and so that's kind of where the group started and um it, I st it stuck with me yeah. um, so uh, something that i kept coming back to because i was interested in the spin right how does hip-hop work out into this um how does hip-hop help me unlearn problematic behavior um it really really stuck with me and so that's what the work has always carried through with me um my mentor who helps me get involved in that work um we do we did a lot of work with women's centers um and so i got extra training right a lot of people have all had bystander training and you know safe zone training and, and I've done all of those different things and I think 
what's hard for me sometimes when I go through those trainings is watching people teach people about languages and things that are happening without without any foundation. Yeah. So like to me, you can't teach bystander intervention without teaching gender first. That Shit. would imply that people have a knowledge about gender. You're implying that they have a certain amount of knowledge of thinking yeah. things are wrong, and they're not. They don't think those things are wrong yet. Yeah. And so, like, you're rushing, you're jumping to teach them something without the with, with the wrong foundation, right? That's if you real. teach them to question how gender is um, designed or um, composed in society first, then you can get to them wanting to intervene mm-hmm. um, as a bystander. But I could mm-hmm. be a bystander, and I don't think there's a problem with that behavior. Shit. So, like, so I'm like leading a bystander intervention <laughs> thing this yeah. week, and like, and I do it all the time. And right. granted, like. That that perspective right there is something. I guess it also it not only brings in the being conscious of how gender works, but it's also like being conscious of what is ethical. Right. And because what might look problematic to one person might not be problematic to someone else. Like a lot of my bystander intervention that I utilize is in like concerts. Mm -hmm. And like I overhear dudes being like jackasses Mm -hmm. or whatever and I'll call them out or like explain like why that's not okay. And to me, because like to me, like I hear a dude talking down to a woman or something. I'm like, no, that's not, no, you shouldn't do that. But to another person, there's like, no, it's just, it's a guy being a guy. Mm. It's the problem. But you're exactly right. I haven't, I haven't considered how much you need to have a good basis of understanding gender yeah. in general right. before being able to teach that. Yeah. And now I'm likely <laughs> going to change how I do it. <laughs> yeah, I always look at, at, at this example. Um, people will always say, you should respect women because you have a mother. That's assuming that I respect my mother. <laughs> it's also assuming that you have a mother. mother. Right. And so that's not the way we should teach um, people to, like, engage in gender and support in different genders and sexualities. You should teach it because people are human and they're deserving of dignity and respect and mm-hmm. honor and trust, et cetera, et cetera. Anything that you feel like you deserve, they deserve it, too. Yeah. Um, that's not what people do. They try to make assumptions about what people have in their lives and try to use that as the grounds for why they should do better. But that's making that's you projecting. That's yeah. your stuff. Like that's 100%. me assuming my life is just like yours, right? You're like me. You have a mother like I do, and you may not. And so mm-hmm. your you know, thoughts towards your mother or a motherly figure may be much different than mine. Mm-hmm. That's where those type of programs I think fail. I'm not saying it's not good work. Yeah. It's just the foundation isn't rooted the way it should be uh, for them to be as successful as you would want them to be. Yeah, and this is all this is all making like you're already we're what ten minutes in. My <laughs> brain is already firing with like I was explaining to Nas before we recorded like having ADHD is hard because I think about a bunch of things all the time, mm. and I already have like twelve questions to ask you. <laughs> um, or at least 12 ways we can take this, uh, which is why I like having unscripted conversations. This is great. Um, what, to what level have you had to really reshape someone Mm. in that unlearning and how have you had to unlearn to be able to actually educate in this way? Yeah. Uh, 
You can take the first one, the second yeah. one first, if you'd like. Yeah. Um. So, for me, I think the the easiest way um to look at this is that gender isn't real. I get it. It's not real. Gender's over, man. It's all learned and performing mm-hmm. behavior. Like we are all, um, as people, we're like master performing artists. Life's a performance, man. It, I've said it once. I've said it a billion times on this podcast. So that's Life's the easiest way to make the information. I think easier for me when I start looking at like I perform the way I perform based on the expectations of whatever space I'm in. Right. Mm-hmm. So if some other people that were not here before enter the space. I'm going to perform differently. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's going to enter the space. I don't know them. I'm not familiar. You are going to perform differently. You may be familiar with them because they're walking into a space that is designed to be yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will be different. You will be different. Mm-hmm. We'll be com- we'll, we're uncomfortable or comfortable. That's what gender is. It's us trying to learn how to perform what society tells us that we should be performing. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way for me to break it down and go, okay, so you're doing what somebody told you that you should be doing. You're not doing what you want to do. Every guy at the gym. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Most guys it's at the gym. The guys at the gym who are like hitting, I don't know, hitting the weights and they're like, I'm going to make all of this noise because that's what they tell me. Like, oh my God. Really. I was literally thinking this morning, is it, are the weights dropped harder for the more insecure the man or are the weights more insecure for the harder <laughs> the man? <laughs> Um, so for me, that's that's how I've been able to shift it, right? Um, constantly challenging my thinking, um, constantly questioning what I've always thought, constantly questioning why I would do that. Like, why in this situation am I doing what I'm doing? For me, that's the way I've been able to uh, continuously unlearn, but to just being open to learning. Yeah. Um, under, understanding that you don't know everything and, and the things that you have been taught may be problematic yeah. and we have to confront like that's problematic and you have to change and shit. And that's hard for some people to to hear or even take on right like i know like especially as like a white dude toxic masculinity is like our mo right and like we're the ones we're the we're the problem <laughs> i'm we're white white dudes we're the we're the majority of the problems in this world yeah and when I became, when I became comfortable with that reality, not comfortable that that isn't okay in a status quo, but comfortable with the fact that I am not okay with that. Mm. And because there are a lot of complicit white people that just want to maintain that and they're like, no, it doesn't affect me, whatever. It took me years mm. to be able to just unlearn like to even trust myself to unlearn some of this stuff Mm. and recognize that there's like a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose for someone as privileged as i am Mm -hmm. to like use that and help educate in another way and Mm. show people that unlearning is possible because like i was talking with some students earlier about how there's this like assumed camaraderie among white dudes sometimes <laughs> and like uh, on the train from Quincy Mass Quincy's k- kind of racist uh, <laughs> Nas thank you uh, <laughs> it's kind of racist and so sometimes there will be this guy sitting next to me on the train and they'll, be like, they'll look down because Quincy's a very like Asian immigrant town and they're like can't believe they're not speaking English mm. and like look at me for confirmation <laughs> and I go what no I don't 
that does not affect my life. Why is it affecting your yeah, life? Yeah. It does like looking at me as like I'm gonna agree with him. No, I don't care at all that mm-hmm. that that they're speaking in another language. Right. Like, I wish you weren't speaking to me at all right now. But right. like that exists. Yeah. There's a lot of that there. Yeah. Um what kind of challenges do you get? Or I guess not challenges, but when students mm-hmm. that you're working with mm-hmm. are kind of confronted with that information like for the first time, mm. what does that look like? I think it's always challenging. So I think a, a particular experience that I remember that was really salient, that really sticks with me. Um, a while ago, there was like this YouTube video of like the potty mouth princesses. And there were like a bunch of like young girls and like... Um, the little ballerina outfits and like they were just cussing like for like the whole three minutes and it's like fuck 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 whoa, fuck whoa. you know just because I wear shorts that Explicit say listen episode pink, <laughs> um, you know just because I wear shorts that say pink does not mean you should look at my ass um, you know just because women are engaged in sex work does not mean they are yeah. uh, you know promiscuous or want to be touched um, and so we were like we were going through that and I was trying to get them to understand. Um, I think there's a perception that people act like we should we should treat people the way that they act mm-hmm. without often realizing that people only do what they know how to do. So like you can't say I'm a respect you the way you act if I haven't been taught value and respect for myself. Mm. Um, it's going to take somebody from the outside to teach it to me. That don't mean you should respond to me, you know, because you feel like I deserve less than you shouldn't do that. Um, and so I was trying to get them. I was trying to get them to understand that this notion that women wear a certain thing because they want to be looked at by men a certain way is just something that men have made up, right? It's mm-hmm. a part of uh, toxic masculinity per se, right? Part of the misconceptions we have around gender and sexuality. I was trying to get them to understand that, and, and it didn't go over as well as I would have <laughs> hoped. Um, I felt like I made all the sense in the world, but it didn't go over the way I wanted it to and so in that moment of being able to understand that they're not gonna take every single piece of information right off the bat right sometimes I'm gonna have to keep working this I'm gonna have Mm -hmm. to keep working this angle or come back another way with that angle Mm -hmm. instead of saying like oh they didn't get it like they're stupid right that's not the answer Um, and so that's one of the times where I felt like in my head it went this way everything was going to be great and it, it didn't work out and so you know you have to come back at a later time bring it up in a different way um, for them to understand and get it but for me I, I don't think the challenge is trying to get the material across the challenge is hoping that they leave and it becomes practical for them mm-hmm. that's that's the challenge right because mm-hmm. um, you can understand something that doesn't mean you're going to change your behavior mm. um, and even for myself included you know speaking about the group that I was talking about I understood everything I don't think until maybe four or five years ago that's when I've become and shift into it being practical for me me living my life in a different way mm-hmm. that's like four or five years ago but yeah. I have been in that group you know almost eight years ago yeah. so that's that's the challenge of hoping that it becomes practical um, that often I may not see, mm-hmm. I may not be a part of, uh, but I have to be hopeful for. Oh, and that's like, oh, my God. That's like the the eternal struggle of being an educator. Yeah. <laughs> Period. Absolutely, yeah. As a, whether you're teaching in a class in general mm-hmm. or you're doing, like, wellness work like I do. Like, I, I go do workshops on self-care and 
balance and eating well. Like, I pack my lunch every day and, like, I give students so many, like, little nuggets. I'm like, okay, the reason I'm doing this is because I failed hard in college. Absolutely. And, like, I did not take care of myself. I did not take care of my heart, my lungs, my liver. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. But... <laughs> I, and, and and a lot of the times, and I try to present this in a way where I'm like, I'm not just trying to like drill this into your head to like make you feel bad, but I also can't make you do anything. Mm. I'm just hoping that when you leave here, mm. some of it sticks, just some of it. And like when I do like speaking engagements where I talk about mental health, I'm like, I go, I don't share these stories just to share these stories. I hope that you take it and you consider your own mental health mm. and that sort of work, like the work that you do, um, it's challenging because it's, it's obstructing norms mm. and every culture has different norms Yes, and every lived experience, every person has different norms. And like, I came up in a very white family, mm. um, and a lot of our norms were, like, all of my sisters got married very young. Mm. And I had started having kids very young. Mm. And I did not want that. And I knew that pretty quickly. I was like, I don't want that. And so a lot of, like, when I go home, my family's like, are you? Are you going to have kids yet? Or is that going to happen? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need that. To feel, like, fulfilled. And then, like, my siblings, my brother will be like, you know, it's great feeling, it's great being a dad. It's great feeling like a dad. And I'm like, I don't need to be a dad. Like, because there's a part of the, a big performative aspect of gender is, like, that step. Reproduction. Reproduction. And I teach sex ed Mm. here. Sex. I don't teach sex. I teach (laughs) sex. Oh Got boy, it. different job. Yeah, different job. Um, I teach I teach sexual health here, mm. and a lot of the times I talk to students, and honestly, a lot of students of color, I will ask at like almost every at every orientation, like how many of you have ever had a sex talk before? Mm. Maybe five percent of the people raise their hands, mm. and that gets back to this conversation on gender because mm-hmm. I don't think you can talk about sex without understanding any aspect of gender and power. No, you can't. Yeah. And I think that that is also perceived differently mm-hmm. in, cu- in different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of... I think there's a lot to even unlearn there. Yeah. Do you encounter any sort of uh, power differentials when it comes to you talking to men about this work or when you talk to women about this work or people therein yeah so that's the interesting thing and i know i I got a it was a fucking roundabout way to get there yeah but i felt like and i'm a high context person yeah oh i felt all of that needed like some sort of place yeah because of the power whole power dynamic yeah so it's interesting i do i um so there's a difference between teaching Intro to Gender Studies and Sexuality, and then working with the Men of Color program. The mm-hmm. difference is really to meet the population. Mm-hmm. You can still do some of the same work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now. One group is coming here for a grade. One group is coming here because they want maybe a sense of belonging. Maybe their friend is coming here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my class that I taught was primarily uh, women identified, mm-hmm. primarily white women identified. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in there, we had the conversation about sex because there's no way we could do a class that is gender and sexuality and not explicitly talk about sexuality. Um, and so I've had several different articles. A book that I had our students read um, was called Dilemmas of Desire by Deborah Tolman, okay. which is this researcher who does a study on how women, particularly women of color, have never been taught like desire. Like women of color have been raised with no type of concept over this feels good or I desire this person in a way because for women of color sex is particularly considered deviant Mm -hmm. right there's a Jezebel trope there's the whore trope Mm -hmm. Um, and so but yet they're still an object they're still an object and so they've never been able to sit and have conversations about sexual desire what they want and it'd be permissible in an area Mm -hmm. um, that is not identified as an area that is particularly deviant like yeah. sex work right that is considered particularly deviant excuse me um and so that that's one concept and way that i have to talk about it in the class with my men of color um i've had to do work where um our campus has a huge alcohol culture and um we know reporting on title nine sexual assault sexual misconduct is increasing right mm-hmm. keep uh most campuses are continuously changing their reporting structures so um it may be happening more or it may be happening at the rate it's always happened at this is now getting reported more yeah, there you go and so i had to use hip-hop in a way here we go back to hip-hop yeah, yeah, yeah. um i used uh two songs in hip-hop so i used drunken hot girls by kanye west mm-hmm. and i used um Swimming Pools by Kendrick Lamar Oof. to talk about Drink. alcohol culture and Drink. consent and how they Drink. blend or blur, right? <laughs> Just like you saying, so like drank. Um, yeah. Here we have Kendrick Lamar talking about his consciousness influenced him to drink. Here we have Kanye West talking about how he acts towards drunk and hot girls. Mm-hmm. Why is your behavior changing when they're drunk? Mm-hmm. Um, why is your behavior changing when they're drunk? <clears throat> how is power a part of why your behavior changes? Mm-hmm. Are you, is your behavior um, changing because that's what you feel like you want to do? Mm-hmm. Or is your behavior changing because that's what you're told you should do? Mm-hmm. You should go to the club and you should pick up a drunk and hot girl and take her home. Mm-hmm. But what are the things, that are the pieces of power that you're missing um, interacting with a drunk and hot girl, right? That's how I've been able to write two different examples, two different spaces, but talk about power, difference, sex in those conversations. Um, I'll bring hip-hop to my class, too. It's mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. like a 360-degree thing. Cyber. Yeah. Um, but that's how I've had to talk about power and difference in both um, and how they play into sex particularly, which is an interesting uh, thing to have to do because you realize people don't know nearly as much about sex and uh, the many exchanges of sex and sexual health as they should um, at all, and I think you realize that even more <laughs> with your role um, having this little spin wheel thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you noticing some trends. Like, wow, you all don't know as much as you should know. 
All right, this is our first break for an ad in the podcast, and since it is now May, it is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I just want to share some information that you can give to your friends and to your students uh, at this time of the year, because some of our students are going through finals, they're pretty stressed out, they're getting pretty anxious. This is also the time of the year when suicide attempts kind of spike uh, in college students, and so it's something we do really need to be aware of and we need to be resourceful for. So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline uh, is available 24 hours a day by calling 1-800-279-TALK, which is 8255. So 1-800-279-8255. You can also suggest the crisis text line at 741741. They can text the word HOME to 741741 and get someone to talk to through text if that's a little bit more comfortable for them to be able to talk to someone because I know and I've talked to many students who are just better at communicating via text than they are over the phone. So again, the National Suicide Prevention Hot, uh, Lifeline is reachable at the at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And as well at 1-800-279-TALK-8255, crisis text line, text H-O-M-E to 741741. This can be information that potentially saves a life. So use it and keep our communities safe and alive. Now let's get back to this conversation with Nick Bates. That's also so pertinent to the to our culture is seeing what people don't know. Yeah. And I think that that's been a big part of my job Mm. is also recognizing that a lot of people just don't know how to take care of themselves when they get to college. Mm. Like one of the big things that I tell students is I don't care if you graduate. Like that's a hard thing for people to hear, but I care that you take care of yourself while you're here. Mm. Like that's my job Mm. to make sure that they take care of themselves. And because for the longest time, like, I didn't take care of myself. Mm. I had no idea. I was a first gen. Are you first gen? Uh, no. Uh-huh. First gen. Are you first gen? Mm-hmm. No, it's your first gen. No one prepared me for this. Yeah. No one. Pre- <laughs> did anyone prepare you for this? No, and I went away. I went yeah, seven you, hours away. Yeah, you, 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 you moved down to, to Baltimore for it. Did, did anyone, even on your campus, give you any sort of advice on how to take care of yourself while you are there? No, it wasn't until, like, the end of my freshman year that I started, like, visiting spaces just for women of color or, mm-hmm. you know, just for women where I was able to kind of express myself and, and understand who I was, mm-hmm. and especially as a woman of mm-hmm. color yeah. on a predominantly white campus. Because um, I, I went to school here at charter schools where it was all minorities Mm -hmm. the white people that i saw were administrators oh wow so going from seeing that to living on a campus where i was you know kind of not a popular face or a popular you know your hair is not straight all the time (laughs) type thing was kind of different um but yeah that was it was interesting to kind of live on a on a campus by myself where there's a lot of different people with mm-hmm. a lot of different identities and components that you have to understand and kind and of live hard. with. You don't get that. Yeah. You don't get that mm-hmm. info. Did you have good preparation going to college? No. Uh, so it's interesting. I mean, 
another podcast we'll talk about how I conceptualize <laughs> and question the concept of first gen. Yeah. So like yeah. my mom went to college but mm-hmm. didn't stay on campus. Okay. And so her experience is very much commuting to school, mm-hmm. um, to a commuter school, whereas I went to a large um, well, a mid-range, predominantly white institution yeah. that was six hours away from home. So there were things that I had never heard of or never knew about college. I just knew you go there, you go to class, and you graduate. Okay. That was really all I knew. I, I would count your experience <laughs> among ours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so sometimes I, I hear people like, oh, I'm first-gen. And I'm like, I'm not really first-gen, but I still knew it just as much as you did. I didn't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, not at all. I didn't know about student groups or, you know, um, where you go on campus to be helped and supported. I, I figured that out just like everybody mm-hmm. else um, who would be considered first-gen. Um it didn't change my experiences with financial aid or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, I've been on the other end of not having my financial aid or making mm-hmm. a phone call to try to see where my money could come from. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that we typically stereotypically associate with first gen or my experiences yeah. too, but um, I don't want to discredit those who have like no type of grounding and no type of setup to even make college happen. I, that wouldn't be my experience. I can't say that. So where do we find grace in terms of responding to students who just don't know in that I do react. So I, I'm a very mm. reactive person. So like someone will say something to me that I'm like, really, you don't know that? Like, come on. I've had to really unlearn even that. Yeah. And recognize that this is their experience. How do you and have you had to fight that in doing the work that you do? Absolutely. I mean, you you were kind of getting at it earlier with yeah. like, this makes sense to me. Right. But like if that was, if someone was telling you that your first year of college, right. would that have stuck with you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, patience. I think, <laughs> so I think I'm the most patient person. Oh, is, I don't, he, I, is I think, he pretty patient? He, yeah. He is golden. So oh. I think, um... I think that sometimes you have to be cool with like sitting in that space with people and, and waiting to really know if they're sincere or like they're just you know trying to be horrible. I think sometimes you you're often your judge of character. Sometimes you just judge people mm-hmm. like oh they're tripping or I don't know what's wrong with you. Sometimes <laughs> you like you're patient enough to wait and you're like oh no they're serious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just what you have to be um, a lot more patient, um, a lot more willing to give grace. I think. Most of us, um, we uh, we don't listen to understand people. Like mm-hmm. we just hear them, and they're like, "We heard, I heard you," but it's like I didn't digest what you said. Yeah, I haven't been paying attention yeah. this entire conversation. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just think about like the last time you got a compliment. Um, if you didn't prejudge the person that was giving you the compliment, right? Um, it's a caveat that you have to consider. That's fair. <laughs> but That's like, a if good you get point. a compliment, most of the time, like you just say thank you and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. You don't really like receive what was said. Mm-hmm. They're often, if it's something that you haven't heard before, <laughs> then you kind of receive what was said. Or so, you, some people deflect. Yeah, I'm a deflector. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's like, Craig, oh, yeah. your haircut's great. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah. oh so, I don't know about that. So I've changed my practice <laughs> into, um, before I say thank you, I say I received that. Oh, like Just I so like, like to, so people know that like, I sat with what you said and I received yeah. it first. And then I go into it. Then I say thank you. So yeah. I'm like, somebody say like, oh, like you look really nice today. I received that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like I want I want people to know that I was really intentional on what was said. And so I think 
that space right there, I think we don't often give ourselves in other exchanges. So it's like, you said something problematic. My first thing is to do is to react first. Not even consider like where you are at as a person. Mm-hmm. Where am I at? We don't do that. We just want to jump to it. Um, and so I think for me, that's what I've had to learn. Does not mean that I'd eventually don't get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, does not mean that I'd eventually don't say like, hmm, that's really messed up. Like, mm-hmm. I feel some type of way. Does not mean that I, I don't have those feelings, but I try to be um, very intentional about being patient and seeing where people are um, in their development. Sometimes I'm I'm spot on. Sometimes I'm not spot on. Yeah. Uh, but it's trial and error. And you just have to give yourself grace to mess up, too. Um, as well as giving other people grace to mess up. I mean, that's an that's an, a really important lesson that I think even when I went into graduate school, like I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do in the field. I had a pretty good idea of how I wanted to interact with students. Mm. And I had been a high school teacher for a little while before. And even when I worked with high school students, it was hard for me to just like let them learn mm. and let them have their chance to experience mm-hmm. and there were a lot of times where like I, f- I felt like I was a good teacher mm-hmm. I, I genuinely feel like I was a good teacher and students would come up to me and be like oh I had never I had never really thought about this topic or I never really thought I would do the do all in this paper and you encouraged me and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh, great, cool. Like, I would kind of, like, <laughs> push it off because, like, I didn't... I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Mm. And... But what I'm hearing is definitely something that I did not practice for a very long time. Mm. Even in going into graduate school. I did not take even positive... Like constructive criticism well because like I don't know I have an ego I don't know <laughs> if you've noticed ever I have a bit of one right. and I'm aware of it I'm a very narcissistic person but when people give you even a little bit of grace mm. and to not even sit with that and to not even respect it is like like right now I'm actually like uh, reflecting on this as I'm talking it out, there have been a lot of times where I feel like I've pushed people away in that regard because I didn't just give them like any level of consideration that what they did. Because even giving someone a compliment is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and I think of dating. Mm. I think of what it's like when you go like, "Oh, I really like your shirt," <laughs> yeah. or "Oh, your eyes are really pretty," right. and like. To give someone a compliment, whoever it is. Like, I, I go to band. Like, I went to a gig last two nights. I went to a gig last night, and I went up to, like, the lead singer of a band, and I was like, dude, you basically wrote an album that I wish I wrote. Mm. And his response was like, oh, th- thanks, man. And I'm like, yeah, it basically made me, like, not want to write anymore. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, what do I write? And he's like, no, write that album. Mm. And I was like, I will. I will go write that album. And, like, right now, I should have, like... It just makes me think back on the times where I could have been better, mm. and this is good. I like this. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Um, what do you? How do people react when you say I received that? 
I think some people don't know what to do with that. And you say, I received that. I'm like, yeah. what? I expect you to say thank you first. It's like, yeah. yeah, I said, I received that. Because I, I know that some people say, like, I hear you. Yeah. Or I feel that. Like, I get I get that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard I received that. Yeah. I like that. Where'd you pick that up? I, I think a friend and I were talking about how we're, as people, like, not literal. Hmm. Like, we really don't use our words. And you just think about how society is pushing us not to use words. Like, emojis. I love them, but, like, we don't use our words anymore. We're like, I'm going to send the crying face emoji. <laughs> you know what I mean. Or this is the, I'm telling you that this is the laughing emoji. Um, yeah. And then you go see what, like, emojis mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a friend, and I was telling him about, like, the hands. It's like an emoji where, yeah. like, the hands and it's, like, happy. It's a yeah. hug emoji. Oh. I didn't know that. Oh, um, like the one with the the head and the hands like this. Right, that's a hug? a hug. It's a hug. I thought it was like, oh so, hey. So I had a friend. I told him, I'm like, what what does this emoji mean? He's like, I use it like no problem. Like I don't want any issues. Oh. And I was like, nah. So I was like, you've been sending your employees hugs all this time. And he was like, <laughs> oh man. I was like, yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like people don't use their words. Um, wow. So we were just talking about power of words and how you should use your words more. And um, I think as men, we're phrase to not be intentional about our words yeah um and so that's kind of where our discussion came from and we just started talking about like how we receive things um and we got to talking about how we feel as men about getting compliments and how we struggle with what that looks like and so we was just um trying to find different words we would use to affirm or confirm what people said Mm -hmm. and so it just came to mind was like i received that Mm -hmm. you said it i received what you said um, that's me acknowledging mm-hmm. for it. And then I want to say thank you. I've had times where people say things, I'm like, I don't receive that. And they're like, what did you just say? I'm like, I don't receive that. Like, mm. I don't want that exchange of energy from you. <laughs> I don't receive it. I, I'm just not like taking push it. it back across yeah. the table. <laughs> I'm not taking it. You can yeah. have it back. Um, yeah, that's where it came from. Oh, I dig that a lot. So in, in the work that you've been doing, um, so we, we, we hinted at it a little bit, but the the men of color mm-hmm. uh, group, can you expand on that a little bit, where that came from yeah. and how it manifests? <clears throat> so historically, um, at the institution, uh, men of color, probably like, let's just say 20 years ago, all the men of color at the institution were on like the basketball team. Okay. And, and that's what they were here at the school for, to play basketball. Yeah. And they didn't have a space that really gathered them together. Um, promoted them being there as students and not just players for a team. That's where it came from. A group of men who were administrators were doing that work uh, with them. They wanted to bring those young men together. Um, now you fast forward now, 20 years later, well, I'm here now. It's still a group that still exists. It started primarily with black men and, and opened up and expanded to men of color. Um, and still more so the a retention to. So we have a, a population, a large population of people who end up at the institution and they transfer to other institutions. Yeah largely because they don't feel a sense of connectedness to the institution. Um, And so what we have there is kind of a retention tool to kind of have a space for them to gather, um, to meet administrators while they're there. I pride myself on being, like, as completely authentic as I can. Yeah. And so I think it's important for them to see me break myself down and build myself up in that Mm -hmm. space. Um, Because you see me when you first come there as an administrator and authority figure, Mm -hmm. right? You don't see me as somebody you could have a conversation with about yeah. sex, right? <laughs> you don't see that. And I think it's important that I'm here to talk to you about, um, to students about sexual health and being able to discuss those things. But I can't do that if I'm just a position title, yeah. not a human. Um, and well, so, and they also probably come into that space being like, he's got all the answers. 
Like we're looking at you to give me the for answer. the answers. And I come in that space and say I don't have the answers. <laughs> um, at all. I don't have. I don't even answer. have the scripts. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> we're figuring this out. Some days we planned it, some days we didn't. Uh, you know, honestly, too, and, and so you know, constructing that space, kind of trying to build up, and so I try to build in the conversations about gender, mm-hmm. um, and you know, start a little light, and, and we'll get heavy as the semester progress. Um, and often, but I allow space too for. I don't have anything for today. What y'all wanted to talk about? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sometimes we call it shop talk or some something similar to that, right? Mm-hmm. Where we could talk about everything. And one time, um, you know, the conversation came up with their sexual exchanges with other people on campus. Mm-hmm. That was the topic that they brought. Another time, we we're talking about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Um, all things are important. That but sounds topical. <laughs> yeah, uh, all things needed to be talked about and discussed, but. Um, that's sort of what the program does. We meet bi-weekly um, around time, and we have, we're at a time where people are coming from class and going to class, so it's kind of a, a stop and shop. Usually, you know how food goes. You know how that goes with programs. Mm-hmm. It helps sometimes, depending on what you have. But um, that's sort of what we do in that program. Cool. And so often I'm engaging things that happen on campus um, to say whether or not maybe we need to cover this. And so... My role as an administrator, uh, working in Rest Life, of course I hear about what Title IX cases are coming in, alcohol-related incidents are coming in. And so sometimes I see that information and I'm like, mm, maybe we need to discuss this. Maybe they need this is an area that, that we can help in um, via that language. So I use my position to inform sometimes what I think we should discuss. So you keep it pretty current with yeah. what's going on on campus? And- Absolutely. I also have um, a syllabus from a class we had when I was working with another institution, the Black Male Initiative, um, I have a syllabus for a uh, first-year success seminar. So sometimes I'm pulling from that syllabus. I'm like, hmm, this was a really good topic that went over well. Um, We should talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What have you found are some of the more challenging parts of doing that work? Um, Because you're working with explicitly men of color. Yeah. I mean, it's in the name. I didn't want to, like, make any assumptions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are some challenges that you find in doing that work? Um, my experience as a black man mm-hmm. may not be the same as someone's experience as a um, South Asian man mm-hmm. who is brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How we articulate those experiences may be different. Mm-hmm. Also, this person may be... By default, lumped into man of color, but may not believe that they are a man of color, mm. but have been told that this is a space that they can come to find um, camaraderie around people that look like them. Yeah. They've never given language or they've never decided what people that look like them are. Okay. So they may identify like, I'm, I'm, I'm from uh, the Philippines. Yeah. I'm not really a man of color. I'm yeah. just from the Philippines, but hmm. because of classifications... Y'all put me as a man of color. Yeah. So inherently, That's thing on the perspectives. Yeah. So um, inherently, people um, there are a lot of people who are of color that have anti-blackness, so they're against black people and black culture. That's always the tough part. I am bringing something hip hop that you consider to be inherently black, um, even though it has its roots in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. right? Jamaica, mm-hmm. all those different mm-hmm. things. But you inherently label hip hop as black. Yeah. So that brings its own challenges of, is this a permissible topic or pedagogies, right, if you want to get really academic. Yeah. Um, 
is it is this something that we should have in our space? Should I be taking information from you, facilitation from you? Um, I don't see that experience the way you do, because in my culture we may have an inherent um, need or basis of wanting to be um, a part of white culture. Yeah. How do I think I should be a part of white culture? I should reject all of black culture. For me, that's the hardest part. Yeah. Because I come in here like, yo, we all listen to hip hop. Like we do. Like I, I hear people. If, either you listen to it or you're influenced by it. Mm-hmm. Right, so you may not listen to it, but you're influenced. You got a John Cena, John Cena, first, uh, figure over here, right? Wrestling. I think Cena came into WWE in like '03 or something mm-hmm. like that. He had a song called "Basic Thugonomics." Yep, that was inherently hip hop. Yep, he is still dressed to this day, right? Jeans, uh-huh. sneakers, yep. um, fitted hat, still talks kind headbands. of quote unquote thuggish. That is inherently hip hop culture. Yep. Um, you may not listen to hip-hop every day, but that is something culturally that yep. you take in every yep. day. If you look at language, right? I was watching one time John Calipari, the coach of UK, yep. speak, and he said, yeah, sometimes we're in the back chilling. And I'm like, chilling? <laughs> like, that's inherently <laughs> black culture. Like, that's hip-hop. Um, I'm loving it. Uh-huh. That's hip-hop. It comes from a, a music producer named Steve Stout, mm-hmm. who's hip-hop. So, for people... For me, that's my challenge. It's like, you're rejecting It's like, it's not good enough. Uh-huh. But everything you do is surrounded by us. <laughs> so how are you rejecting us, right? Um, oh, but that's inherently really my biggest challenge is perspectives. So often I have students who are clashing because I'm black American. Uh-huh. I'm black from London. My black is different. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong. Or right? There's no better, but what we different. Ex- what I experience here a lot so we have like African mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. and like Caribbean mm-hmm. students, and like um, I've had to field very explicit conversations where I am not qualified <laughs> to have a conversation about the difference between African American and African, mm-hmm. and I am not the person to um, have any expertise on that. But I'm I learn so much about even like what you're saying there's a lot of prejudices within those cultures yeah. within those communities and like like this campus we were talking earlier this campus is where i work is like 65 percent people of color mm. and the majority of our men are black men mm. or how i perceive as black men mm. and i keep walking around with an assumption that like oh they're probably all chill <laughs> They're probably all chill, right? right? And that's not what I've found. Mm. And even within those cultures, I'm not asking you to tell me how to do my job or make or do my job for me. <laughs> yeah. But like, how do you even manage those conversations? <laughs> that's a hard question. I'm sorry. The father, <laughs> uh, what people consider the father of black psychology, he just recently passed, Dr. Joseph White. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to go to this conference in Akron, Ohio called the Black Male Summit mm-hmm. at University of Akron. And Dr. White was there every year. Um, and every year, Dr. White may or may not have a keynote. Dr. White never went to any sessions. <laughs> he spent all his time in the hallway doing what I call hallway mentoring. Yeah. Talking to guys, mentoring guys, asking them what they're doing, their next step. I found that that's the only solution for everything we do. Right? So... You can say, we want to bring this here to UMass Boston. This worked at all of these different schools. Mm-hmm. One of these schools, you know, let's say 10 of these schools are similar. It mm-hmm. is a, in, uh, in 
the population that serves urban right areas, right? We can say that. That does not mean it, it will work. No. Sometimes certain programs work because of the people that are in the programs, mm. that are running the programs. Yeah. Sometimes it's just who they are as people. There's something about them that makes the program work. Mm. I think what I've learned is that for me sometimes to get through or interact with people, I have to speak with them all the time. Not mm. just in that setting. I have to speak to you when I see you in line at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I don't even drink Starbucks, but yeah. um, I have to speak to you when I see you walking through the hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I see you chilling, you know, on the side near the uh, multicultural center, I need to come and sit down and have a conversation with you there. Um, I see you uh, about to check in in your residence hall mm-hmm. and it's space to sit there and learn. I have to be able to sit in that space and engage with you. Yeah. Um, I have to be able to come to the spaces that you have claimed ownership over yeah. and sit with you and learn and understand. I think that's what people miss. People just jump like, this is my job. This is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't have access to the spaces that you need mm-hmm. to do your job, right? Yeah. So you may come in and say, I'm here to do multicultural programming. But you, something about who you are as a person has not given you access to a space yet. Just mm-hmm. because you have the the title for that space that don't mean people are allowing you to space right it's not always a physical thing sometimes the people make the space and so like they say in christianity um they say what two or more people are that defines what church is so sometimes your spaces you have to look at them like that and that decides whether or not you have access then sometimes that lends you the ability to do what you do so like i don't think the work that i do would work if i didn't have access if students haven't given me you know, the time. The students aren't giving me the right to be present. Mm-hmm. Arguably, they have the power, right? They have to yeah. give me the right to be there. Then they become interested. When they want me there, mm-hmm. then what I can do in those programs work. Not before then. I could come with all the, the curriculum that mm-hmm. I know. It could be amazing. But if I'm not being me in a way that um, they invite me into the space, it probably won't work at all. And I found that what is essential is exactly what you're saying it's doing the work Mm. it's showing up Mm. it's having the initiative to actually engage it's not just like having like a good for like first interaction or how however you first interact with them and then from then on just like give them like the nod as you walk (laughs) by it's more of like hey how's how you doing today like what's going on and like sometimes that's kind of disarming to some people because they don't we're so conditioned mm. to just do that quick head nod. Yeah. And, like, being from the Northwest, like, I'll tell you my entire life. Like, I told you, like, within, like, a couple of minutes, like, oh, I have bipolar disorder. It's sick. But, like, that's how open we are. Like, we're mm. very open people in the mm. Northwest. And so, like, I've learned here on the East Coast. Yeah, they're not. Mm. <laughs> it's not, it's and not so open when, at all. when I stop someone to actually talk to them about their day, they're like, oh, I was just oh, going to keep going. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, but I'm actually, like, interested in what your life is. Right. And I found, like, the more I show up to things, the more I'm visible. Yeah. The students are, are more likely to be like, Craig, come come talk to us about this thing. I'm right. Like, All right, cool. All right. Let's chat. Yeah, I think that, that that's key. It's important. Um, I would add, like, remembering things that people say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just shout it down. Take a note of something. Like remembering names yeah. goes um, a long way, too. Names or things that they were articulating to you that they oh, found yeah. important. Yeah. Bring it back up. They're like, I didn't think you would remember yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes that's 
aided to my success. I found that anime is a huge in, yeah, especially. Yeah, a lot of people like anime. And, and, and like, I had no idea, because like, I have a couple anime pops over there. Mm. Yeah, and, and like, my, like, I bring like little bits of myself in my office, so students will come in and they'll be like, oh, I love wrestling, or oh, I love Tokyo Ghoul, and like, yeah, let's talk about it, that's mm-hmm. tight. Yeah. Or like, it's just giving enough of yourself so mm-hmm. that they have a little bit to cling on to about you, and you can get a little bit to cling on about them. Yeah, they want to know you're human. Human. Exactly. Um, they don't want to think of you just your whatever your title is, and that's it. They want to know. Uh, I found that the more you do what I do, like students want to know everything. Yeah. Like I'm like, yo, can I have some privacy? I got a little. <laughs> gotta have a little bit of boundaries. <laughs> right. All right, it's time for the music break portion of the podcast. I'm bringing you a new song from the new Dearest album, Sonder, which just came out on Spartan Records last Friday. I gave it a couple listens over the over the weekend, and it is pretty darn great. I'm going to play you my personal favorite uh, song on the album, which is called Demuto. I think it has a it's a wonderful song. It gives me a lot of feels, and I think it's uh, it's it's something that I think most of our listeners will enjoy. You can go to SpartanRecords.com and get yourself a copy of the new Dearest record, uh, Sonder, on vinyl. There are two really cool variants. I got one coming to me once they get back from the from the vinyl plant or whatever happens with vinyl. Uh, once they get in, I'm really excited for mine to show up. But you can order yours as well. Both variants are still available. Uh, they got CDs and they got digital as well. And so... Uh, if you like what you hear, go to uh, SpartanRecords.com or go to Dearest.Bandcamp.com and you can listen to the album there as well. And you can find videos of theirs on YouTube as well as on Spotify. You can listen to it all there as well. But for now, let's listen to Demuto by Dearest.
All right, that was Demuto by Dearest. Their new album, Sonder, is out now through Spartan Records. Go to SpartanRecords.com to get yourself a vinyl copy, a CD copy, or a digital copy. Right now, what are you waiting for? That song was awesome. Get it now. Do it. All right, let's finish this conversation with Nick Bates. I'm glad that you guys both talk about this stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Do you challenge each other a bit? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I come from like a, a very like close, like sex isn't something I t- we talked about growing up really? in my family. Like my mom's Catholic and Spanish. Mm-hmm. So like sex to me, like when I went to college was like my first experience, like understanding that me touching a boy wasn't going to get me pregnant type thing. <laughs> so like that was something that was like, you know, I learned when I was able to like leave the nest um, but I grew up not really talking about sex and yeah. understanding my body and the things that I like and don't like and who or what you know mm-hmm. those things I didn't have I, so my first conversation about sex was in the barbershop really I've never had a conversation with my mom like about, I grew up single parent household yeah never ever had a conversation it was literally like this mm-hmm. while you were getting your haircut it was, no my conversation with my mom was like this oh you using condoms yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> that's all that's ever been said. Holy crap. Yeah, so, like, everything was, like, barbershop, um, you know, football teams, all the wrong places, right? You should wow. not be having a conversation. I mean, I didn't really have <laughs> a good conversation with my family either. The only, like, real conversation I ever had with my, my parents was coming out to them, mm. and that would not go over well. Mm. But, like... I got a lot of good education from a professor at Oregon State, and it just, like, blew my mind. And I, yeah. that's what I want to do. Yeah, so that's it. Yeah. Progressive Masculinity's Mentors. Yeah. Um, it was uh, men's violence prevention work. Hmm. So we worked with a women's center that had a rape crisis shelter. So this was where, like, I started formulating, like, my education and then um, reading. But this is long after I've joined the fraternity. I'm one of the most popular people on campus. So I've already doing been doing all of the problematic things. And A now problematic just, <laughs> fraternity. <laughs> um, I've been doing and learning all the problematic things. And then later, I started reading books. Yeah. Um, yeah. I read a book about um, the porn industry yeah. called The Money Shot. Oh, Very hey. interesting, talking about salaries and stuff like that. Goodness. Um, but the book that changed it for me was a book called Getting Off. Mm. And it's about how porn and, like, incessant masturbation is, like, the downfall of masculinity. Mm. Because, and I've encountered this plenty of times, where um, I'll have men in my office talking to me about how they're just so used to watching pornography that the first time they have an interaction with a woman, they don't even know how to, like touch them Mm. they don't know how to like ask Mm. if they can remove clothing Mm. like because porn doesn't teach that no Mm -hmm. and there there was a and i almost said the word that a student said to me he's like how do i direct a woman to remove her top and i was like you don't direct Direct. anything (laughs) and i i like stepped back and like you don't do that yeah and i know we were talking about like being respectful of where they're coming from. Yeah. But that was like when I was like, don't ever use that word yeah. with someone because that just immediately shows you don't have any respect, respect. for them. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's fascinating to me how like one of the most pervasive and pertinent topics in our lives, sex, mm-hmm. which is everywhere, 
Never Everyone wants to have it. Mm-hmm. No one wants to talk about it. Not in America, at least. All the other countries, they don't have any issue. Like, <sighs> it's like the Netherlands, they have, they teach like sexual health from both like education, mm-hmm. pleasure, mm-hmm. same sex. Norway, they started at like, like six years old. Yeah, it's like amazing. But it's us, like in America, like we have just like criminalized sex so people don't talk about it. It's fascinating yeah. to me. Because yeah. like I have a perspective of like it's important to learn what you like mm-hmm. it's important to learn what you don't like mm-hmm. because if you're going to spend your life with someone which is like the apparently the ultimate thing we're all looking for is the mm-hmm. person we're spending our life with it's important to know if you have chemistry with that person and yeah. you can only learn that by trying <laughs> you don't just learn that from like holding out and waiting till right. you get married like I get yeah, that yeah, there yeah. are reasons yeah, people sure. do things yeah. but and then there's the whole conversation which I'm not there's a whole other podcast right. about this that I'll have probably with <laughs> one of my sex educator friends about how virginity isn't a thing. And so, like, it's a whole, like, I throw those into conversations sometimes. And I'm like, hey, that's also a social construct, just like gender. That's just what I went to really quick when you said that. <laughs> I never thought about that, but I went to that really quick. Like, we can have that conversation, construct. too, because. Yeah, that is a social construct. It's a, yeah. and it's also, like, my whole thing is that the idea of virginity is very slut-shaming. Yes. Because it is totally an okay thing for a dude to learn his, like, er, lose his virginity early. But if a lady does it, mm, mm, mm. it's not okay. Hmm. And a large number of sexual assaults are like a, like a woman's first time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even the guy's first time. Because, mm-hmm. again, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, and so it, yeah. It's a whole different conversation. There's a book called <gasps> Island. It'll tell you. Uh, right uh, there. Guideline, okay. Right I use guideline in my class. Yeah. Um, Cause you know in guideline they talk about how um, men don't have sex because they want to have sex. They have sex because they want to talk about having had sex. Yep. Um, yep. So they often don't know what to do or what they're doing, whether it feels good or it's great. They don't know anything about that. They just know that they've done it, and that's all they want to talk about. Yep. Oh yeah. And like, kind of getting back to a little bit of what you said, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, there. There was a time when I was in the locker room, and this goes to, like, locker room talk or whatever, but also just, like, the way men talk about women. Mm. I hear, like, a guy go, oh, I got her so drunk. Mm. That is immediately something that, like, triggers in my head, like, and then what happened? Mm -hmm. Like, why? What? Right. Like, that's the sort of thing that, like, gets me is, like, there's so much, like, assumed language among men Mm -hmm. that that's, like... A behavior that is okay. Mm. And that breaks my heart mm. as like a person who does like a lot of sexual violence prevention. It yep. like breaks my heart. Exactly. And like, again, those guys don't know that about me. Like, they don't know the work that I do. Some of them don't. Same. Yeah. So, like, there's, you're, like, you're saying that to the wrong person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Let's wrap this up with the lightning round. I'm just okay. going to ask, and you can both answer these. I don't <laughs> mind. Um, this is like some favorites, some things that you like in life, just so folks can end with like a nice positive note. I like to do that. Gotcha. Um, and you can answer with the thing off the top of your head or whatever. Okay. Favorite color? Uh, Orange. Nice. <laughs> Blue, probably. Orange. Honestly. Go Beavs. Uh, uh, favorite food? Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> nice. You're going to go to Wingstop, so yeah, that makes yes. sense. What about a favorite book? Current or all time, whatever. The Empire Illusion of Illusion by Chris Hedges. Okay. Um, and then All About Love by Bell Hooks. Okay. 
before no. agreements, McGregor Ruiz. Oh yeah, I have that one at home. Uh, what about a movie? Do you guys like movies? The Matrix. Matrix. Yep. Okay. Finding Nemo. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm that's a child. A good one. That's a good one. What about TV? You guys binge anything? Yeah, a lot of stuff. Atlanta. Uh, my favorite TV show of all time is completely problematic, but it is what it is. It's Entourage. Okay. All right. It's <laughs> completely problematic. You recognize it? It's Absolutely. okay. It's okay. Atlanta. I need to catch up with Atlanta. Yeah, we just caught up. Oh, well, man. I'm it's some good. That show's changing the game. Like, Donald Glover, like, we need to protect him. Mm-hmm. Forever. At all costs, we need to protect him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, goodness. Uh, what about... Music. What are you listening to right now? Uh, Do you have a favorite album? Maybe not right now, but like all time. Oh, all time. My favorite album is Illmatic. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That's my all time favorite album. Hey. Do you have a American Gangster? Okay. DJ. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because I mean, this podcast crosses over with a lot of music, so. mm-hmm. and I often talk to a lot of musicians. So, word uh, if you guys have connects with Jay Z, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> uh, no, it's just always fun when <laughs> I when I ask rapper. musicians those questions. They're like, "All right, you're gonna have to narrow like of the last week, like." Right. <laughs> oh, like, well, like album. I know, like for me, if you would have asked me, like. Actually, what I'm listening to is like completely yeah. doesn't work because like, yeah. I'm listening to like so much. Yeah. Um, so like, like, I don't know why I don't R&D. work in like music because yeah. like I hear sounds. Like, yeah. I hear in sounds. Um, but like, there's medication for that. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might want to. There yeah. might be a ringing or uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think this music is just like lifeblood for people. Yeah. Um, and so 100%. there could be so many different things. Yeah. In the day. What's your favorite place you've traveled? Uh, I haven't been far. Um, okay. I would probably New Orleans. New Orleans? Yeah. Oh, I love that yeah. place. That's where we first met in human form, I think. Yes. I believe so, at NASPA. No. no? Baltimore. Baltimore. Okay. One yeah. of them. Nice. How are you? Um, I liked San Francisco. Oh. That's my vibe. Nice. West Coast vibe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's like... Just the cusp of barely s- south Southern California. Um, I've been there a few times. California's not my favorite as an Oregonian. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite. We know. <laughs> but I can get along with people from there. Mm. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate Thank it. you Thank both you. for being yeah. here yeah. and coming out to our construction field campus. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm Appreciate glad it. that you found it ra- rather easily than some do. Yeah. So. Thank you. I wish you the best of luck in everything, and I can't wait to see you again. I received that. Thank you. Oh! (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Just made my heart melt. All right, we did it! Another episode done! Big thanks to Nick Bates and his girlfriend, Nas, for joining us this week. I learned so much from both of them. What an incredible conversation i've been thinking about this conversation uh, ever, uh since last week when we had it and i uh keep going back to it uh even with my therapist the other day it was it was great seriously the level of learning that i did in this episode has been has been sticking with me it's pretty wonderful i hope you enjoyed the conversation again this week i shared information about the national suicide prevention lifeline you can go to the national suicide prevention lifeline.org or call 1-800-279-TALK which is 8255 so it's 1-800-279-8255 
to uh, call if you or someone you know needs that sort of support in a busy, hectic time of the school year and the year in general. Also, Crisis Text Line is available 741-741-TEXT-HOME to 741-741 if you or someone you know would like to chat with someone via text. Also, this week you heard songs from the new Dearest album called Sonder. I'm going to play you out with another song that you started uh, at the beginning of the episode with and you're going to finish with at the end of the episode. The song is called Beaches. It is off that new Dearest record, which is out through Spartan Records. You can go to SpartanRecords.com and get yourself a copy of that record today if you wanted it. It is a great record. Uh, I listened to it again. I listened to it a couple times over the weekend. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, I think if you enjoyed what you heard, you liked the whole album. Uh, if you like what you heard on this podcast, please tell your friends. Rate, review, subscribe. We reached over 3,500 streams last month, which makes me feel so great. I'm so happy about that. People have been going back through the whole catalog and messaging me and uh, tweeting at me uh, that they really like the conversations we're having. This one person told me they want more Katie Ham, so I'm going to try to get Katie Ham to do one uh, soon as well, maybe in this next month. Maybe I'll uh, I'll push them to, to get one of those done. That'd be really, really sick. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't have a whole bunch else. Big thanks to Jacqueline O'Connell and Kara from last week on In Between Spins. That was such a fun episode on getting to the gig, so make sure you listen to that one if you haven't already. A fun drinking game. Drink root beer. Root beer. Yeah, you know, drink root beer. Every time we say some form of get to the gig, you'll be root beer drunk by the 20-minute mark. I promise. (laughs) All right, that's all I got. Edupunks Pod on social media. Rate, review, subscribe. That's all I got. I'll see you next week. But until then, let's get to work. <laughs> <laughs>